What do you want me to do? Hello and welcome. We're uh, doing an intro here. I'm here with my good friend, Ed Faco. Say hello, Ed. Hi, everybody. And my counterpart over here is Neil McLaughlin. Yeah, and we're the appraisal guys. Uh, we've been doing seminars in person at little venues across the Midwest on the subject of appraisal and umpire. I know Ed gets a phone call about every 10 minutes, it seems. Anytime we're together, his phone's constantly ringing. I usually get emails and things. Uh, I come from the carrier side, and Ed represents the policyholder or contractor many times, but he, uh, we both work for both parties. Uh, as appraisers and umpires. And uh, so what we'd like to do today is just give you a brief introduction about our podcast. This is the intro, of course. We thank all of you that are listening out there in podcast land. We will in the future have an ability to do live streaming and we're going to have some pretty exciting guests. We have a few people lined up, but we're not going to give away any names here, but they're pretty big names in the insurance industry. And Ed will be promoting that and talking about that. But the idea is that we're going to have some guests. And if you live stream with us uh, and do this in real time, you'll have the ability to ask questions of the guests. Isn't that right, Ed? Uh, that's my understanding. Uh, this, is, this is all new to me. So I, I'm looking, to, looking forward to diving into this. And when we have a guest, people will be able to ask their questions during a live stream. And as a follow-up, they'll be able to watch a, a preview or, I mean, a review, a rerun of it in the future. I yep. think that works out well. Yep. And so if you're driving to a job site or you're on uh, the way to an appraisal or an umpire. Uh, so let's, let's just jump right in. What would you describe appraisal as, Ed? My most basic version of appraisal is arbitration light, meaning that it, it constitutes the determination of value of a claim, but it does not dip into any judicial venue, such as determining coverage. Now, in some states, coverage can also constitute as causation, but many, many courts have been started to come over the side that causation is a subject that must be determined by the appraisal panel. And you bring up a really good point here. So we have listeners on a, on a global scale or hope to get listeners on a global scale. So Yeah, we have two people. Yeah, we have two people now, uh, and we're based in the Midwest. We're based out of the Chicagoland area. and But if people uh, live stream and able to ask questions, make sure you preface your question with what area of the country you're specifically talking to. Now, a little disclaimer. Uh, this is not legal advice. We're not attorneys. We're two guys who have worked in the insurance claims field for years. Have and contracting in general, too. And contracting in general. And we have diverse backgrounds, and that's why we had a very good uh, rapport with our audiences of people that came to see us at our events, and uh, we were trying to keep it going. So this is a way for us to reach you for people that can't come to the Chicagoland area or any of the areas we're going to be traveling to, and it just makes it convenient. Everyone's so busy nowadays, and if you're not working, I hope you're spending time with uh, friends and family and loved ones, especially during the holiday season. But the idea is that we can come to you instead of you having to come to us. So if you do have a question, make sure you preface it. Now, a lot of the things we're going to talk about is in generalities, right, Ed? Yeah, because that, that everything does change. And also, somebody's listening from Iowa or Missouri, the case law there might be slightly different. So it has to be generalities unless we 
just hone in on one state at a time. Right. And we might talk about recent events or current events coming up that's created in litigation, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Uh, so we're looking at getting people out there. So obviously we're talking about appraisal. This is not real estate appraisal, but insurance appraisal, in case you clicked on the wrong podcast. And we're talking about alternative dispute resolution. Okay. So it deals with 165 line items in Illinois, at least. And we're looking at one of them it, that has to be addressed is the appraisal clause. So myself and Ed, like I said, we come from different backgrounds. I'm more of a carrier oriented, uh, but uh, we both have taken the time to try and really drill down on this particular subject. And Ed, you've taken some some classes uh, and to to uh, some training, some formal training. And uh, would you say formal training is the way to go or is it on the job training is the best way to learn? Well, I think you need a combination of both. Uh, one of the things that I found is classes can teach you so much. But as with any class, until you're thrown into the fire, you just don't know what you don't know. And not only do you not know what you don't know, but you need advice and you need guidance after that. One of the things that's benefited me a lot is to have some um elder partisans that have honed their craft down for 30 or 40 years doing this that I can reach out to on many occasions because there are instances that come up and we can talk about those in another episode about what are the quirky things that come up in appraisal, you know, things that were, what what did sidetrack? What do you do? So you, so we're in agreement then that the best way is to get some type of formal uh, education and what I mean, formal, a structured environment, and then supplement that with some type of mentoring and have a, have, someone that you could bounce ideas off of as you go? Well, what we're going to be doing uh, with their upcoming school, for the people that are listening, there will be a training session that goes on that's going to be very, very comprehensive. But in addition to the class, there are several other good classes out there already. But in addition to the class, what we intend on doing is having a mentoring program, and we're going to be getting dozens and dozens of appraisals that come in all the time. And we would like to see all of our students, but if not all, at least the ones that have a passion and a desire that want to reach out to us to be able to handle some appraisals with our us. I want other people to work independently, but get assigned appraisals. And then they have a, a staff, a team behind them to get their additional mentoring from right from the get-go. Okay. How many, uh, that's great. So we've talked about that in the past and I don't think there's anyone else out there offering that uh, because we agree that, Form, education is one thing and training, but we need to go ahead and supplement that with mentoring. So with this class that we've decided to put on, you're really going to get the best of both worlds, right? You're going to get the opportunity to be assigned cases and uh, and work through some actual appraisals and get paid for them, right? That's right. Uh, and not only do you get paid for them, it's whatever you spend and invest on going to a class. I cannot think of one single class I've ever gone to where they said, we can get you the funds back into your pocket after the class is done. Not one single class I've ever gone to that has done that. I don't think there's a class that I've ever gone to that's even offered a money back guarantee. There may be some out there, but uh, I don't know any of offhand. Uh, if you pay for the training, you're training. Uh, you, you get what you can get out of it. Uh, this is a little different. I like this. I like this a lot. Uh, and we uh, are going to have some sponsors that we're going to talk about closer to the time of the event. Uh, and the class is going to be held where? 
It's going to be at uh, uh, J.C. Restorations, located in Schaumburg, or on the border of Schaumburg, Illinois. Rolling Meadows, I guess. It's right on the border of both towns. And they have an auditorium-style seating with a large stage presence. In addition to that, there are many aspects of appraisal. Most of the contractors that I have run into are primarily exterior damage contractors. They know roofing pretty darn good. They know gutters, and they know siding, and uh, the better ones that get more more exclusive also know windows. And then some of them dabble on a little tiny bit of the interior damages that occur. But where I see a big void in this entire industry is the mitigation contractors and also the lack of exterior contractors getting involved in the mitigation and water damage resources. They are running into them and they don't know what to do with them. Yeah, I, I have to say, you know, you think Chicagoland is a highly populated area and things like that. I get more requests for mitigation, uh, water uh, 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 removal people going to uh, appraisal from the Milwaukee area than, than Chicago area. I don't know what your experience is. Uh, luckily for me, I, I only have to go about seven different states. <laughs> no, that's the honest to goodness truth. Uh, people do have a, a, a lot of awareness about me that I've been around for a long time. And um, I get utilized as an umpire in about seven different states right now. And that's actually pretty enjoyable to me. I do like to stay at home because I'm still raising my son. But when it comes to umpiring, you can handle a task like that one or two days out of town conveniently. Uh, what I have noticed, though, you were talking about water damage, mostly coming from Milwaukee. I don't see a vast amount of insurance appraisals being done in the Chicago market regarding fire losses. You know, I do know that the board of co companies will be out there fisticuffing with, them, with themselves to try to get the job. I also know that there is uh, an onslaught of public insurance adjusters that might be right behind those board of companies and tied in with them, but those do not get settled promptly and, and let's say to the right values that they should in a timely fashion. Okay. So just to be fair, we uh, mentioned earlier that this isn't legal advice. This is a podcast talking in generalities in general about the appraisal process based on our experiences and hopefully the experiences of our audience for the betterment of people and enlightenment of people out there in, in uh, the insurance claims industry. Now, that being said, I think it's only fair that we mention other forms of uh, dispute resolution that currently exist, right? So if you have a claim, right, you have a couple of options. Um, you can either take what the insurance carrier offers you, which I know most people don't agree with this, but sometimes can be fair and adequate, right? Uh, and uh, the second thing, you can hire a public adjuster and have them try and uh, work on behalf of the carrier, uh, make sure they're licensed and make sure they're reputable. Uh, you can go to appraisal, which is what we're talking about here. Uh, you can go to arbitration. And then finally, you can always seek an attorney uh, to review your case with and see if uh, full-blown litigation. And there's uh, pros and cons about every single one of those. Right, and we'll go into that on a separate episode, right? right. But we're just going to, uh, as an intro today, we just wanted to make sure people were aware that appraisal, if you're new to the industry, is not the only end-all, be-all uh, re resolution, uh, dispute resolution 
program that's out there available to you. But we're going to focus in on appraisal in this show, hence the name, the appraisal guys. And we're going to go ahead and give you what we feel is the most relevant, up-to-date information, talk to some industry leaders in the insurance claim industry, because really appraisal uh, has been growing in the Midwest and well, from what I hear, Neil, or what do you I, say? I, I've been hearing from some insurance carrier insiders that I'm uh, pretty close friends with. I, I do have a lot of lot of friendly acquaintances on the insurance carrier side. I do want to point out that although there might be a big bias from a lot of contractors and public adjusters about insurance carriers not always being fair, you got to remember by the time it gets to us, the only ones that we're seeing are the, the smaller, like hopefully the smaller percentages of them that do have a lot, leave a lot left on, to be desired on the table. Okay. So we're seeing with a, a very, very different lens and a different perspective of the claim. So when we see them, they obviously are, are typically low amounts being offered, high amounts being desired. Okay. Now, the other thing, too, I want to talk about is uh, not too many people are doing this, and me and you have had coughing and discussed this, and we always feel we agree, unless I'm wrong, I think we agree that uh, doing a review of a claim before it goes to appraisal is essential. We we kind of joke, and we have an inside-running joke, and making fun of people who will uh, accept any appraisal site unseen and just take the job. And the idea is that that's really maybe not what's best for the client. What's best for the client is to review the claim and and see if it's what we call in the industry ripe for appraisal. Um, you want to speak a little bit about that and what, what we are plan on doing on that? Well, um, Neil is a very experienced public insurance adjuster. And prior to that, a, a staff in, in cat and fire loss cause and origin insurance adjuster. He's got experience that just uh, goes page after page after page. <laughs> Between the two of us and the remainder of our team behind the scenes, we're going to be doing insurance policy review and claim review. It's going to have to be built both because if the policy doesn't afford for certain coverages, what good is it to try to beat your head against the wall or try to squeeze, you know, uh, squeeze water out of a rock. Yeah. And that's another, we'll, we'll talk about that in an upcoming episode as well. But, you know, we, I think they termed that what insurance gap, right? Yes. The insurance gap. And when they write, it's basically when they write illusory coverage, you think you're covered, but you're not surprised your language in there from an ambiguous or a layman's perspective thought makes you think that you had insurance coverage for an all risk policy. All risk policies are not all risk anymore. It's, it's all risk, but not not all risk. All right. And we're going to talk about some of that uh, RC, replacement costs versus ACV, actual cash value, and things like that in some other episodes. But again, this is an intro, uh, and we just want to give you an overview of some of the things that you're we're going to be talking about to get your interest in listening to this podcast. Uh, the other idea is uh, we're looking at trends in the industry. The industry is constantly changing. Would you agree with that? Or was someone doing appraisal 10 years ago? I know I was doing this uh, 1995. What What do you think, in your opinion, um, if someone was doing this even five years ago and now, has appraisal changed that much? Case law is an ever-evolving uh tool. Another thing too, that even from the insurance carrier and many blog articles from attorneys 
from both sides of the, of the spectrum. Insurance appraisal was, has been around for well over 100 years, and there's even varieties of a tripartite uh, alternative dispute resolution procedure being involved, even going back to George Washington and to the old English um, English law, common law from, from England, if people aren't aware of that. But what's really important is it wasn't used as often. It started to get a lot of publicity around Hurricane Camille in the 1960s, and it just had a very steady, regular pace. All of a sudden, in the uh, mid-2000 to 2010 era, around 2006 is what's been pointed out, insurance appraisals have spiked, and they're going up. And from what I've heard from the insurance industry insiders, it is probably going to increase by tenfold in the next five years. And a lot of that is going to come within the next one to two years. Okay, so every action has a reaction is the old uh, uh, law. What is going to be, our train is going by. I don't know if you could hear that in the, in the distance. Uh, so, don't get off track, Neil. <laughs> and I won't get off track. And that's our joke because I always get off track. So the idea is what, uh, what, what, you know, every action has a reaction. What do you think the insurance industry's action, a uh, reaction will be to this spike or increase in appraisals? Well, in states that do not have some version of the 1943 standard 165 line fire insurance policy, they will attempt to change language. And that, that goes back to that term we just talked about, insurance gap. Insurance languages and coverages and changes to the appraisal clause itself will be done in the states that do not adapt the 1943 standard New York fire policy. Illinois has its own version. They, it's right in there, it's in the statutes. And it's almost word for word to the New York one. So I've, I've read them both. And, and if, as long as that's in there, your state is protected. But we also have to wonder about the other states. Uh, the departments of insurance and the commissioners of insurance, they don't really go over the new wording that an insurance amendment or endorsement that they're pushing through. They do not go through it with a fine-tooth comb. They don't say, oh, this is too illusory. You're not really giving any coverage. They just say, okay, thank you for submitting this. Let me get my rubber stamp. Boom. Now it might be more process to that because I don't work in their office. But with some of the things that are alleged to be coverage, I wonder what really goes on in those offices. All right. Now, you mentioned the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, which is a governing body that uh, that, that oversees the state regulators. Each state is state-specific, right? What are you think? Uh, where does a person go or where does a person turn to to find a qualified appraiser? There's no state license for this in Illinois, right? No, there's not. A lot of times people uh, go to Google and they look up appraiser and they're, they're going to find insurance, uh, not insurance appraisers. They're going to find real estate appraisers. That is a separate, different licensed profession. That is somebody that does a home valuation for a real estate transaction to provide a value of what it either costs, what is the uh, the MLS listing resale value for co comparative values, or what would be, if they don't have comparative values, what would be the best guess based on their experience? And those people have to be licensed for that. This industry is sort of like the Wild West has been described many, many times over the years because anybody can hire anybody to be an insurance appraiser. That doesn't mean it's a good idea to do so, though. All right. So, buyer beware. Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah. Caveat after all the way. All right. 
Um, and we're going to give you some tips and clues uh, in other podcasts on maybe steps you should take in, in looking to find an appraiser. Uh, I always thought it was odd uh, if I got an assignment from a, a carrier. And sometimes the appraiser would be uh, not from the general area, would be from another state. Do uh, you see pros and cons to that? Uh, it could add an awful lot to the time of an appraisal. It could add to the, it could increase the friction and decrease the amount of back and forth. A guy from Colorado is not going to come to Illinois back and forth to maybe take a second site visit on a better weather day. There are times that I've been on a site where the weather honestly did not show the prevalence of damage as significantly as as if the sun were out or coming from a different direction or at a different time of the day. Anybody that's done this for a while knows that you could go up on certain situations and not see any damage at all and come back at a different time and it just jumps out at you. So well, there are times when you, and you, you're going to have to have a full appraisal panel meeting oftentimes. That's typically up to the umpire to choose to, to do that, though. Right. And we have some friends in the industry, mutual friends. And um, that brings us to another point. A lot of people ask, uh, what is it necessary to do a site visit? What is this term desk appraisal? Well, how would you describe desk appraisal? That would have to fall under a category that there is no requirement to see visually any damage that's on site. Many times people would say that just an overhead and profit determination of value that's the only value that's in dispute. But oftentimes I've heard, spoken with many contractors say, yes, it's a desk appraisal because it's for overhead and profit. But then they start talking more and more. And it's not just overhead and profit. It's overhead and profit plus the uh, ice and water shield plus the amount of um, turtle vents or mushroom vents that are up on the roof. There's two or three minimal categories that are added on. They think it's minimal. And truly, in for the whole spectrum and picture of things, it really is. Now, but now suddenly the other guy wants to go take a look at it. I have another question for you. And obviously for those out in pod class land, I'm playing devil's advocate and trying to jumpstart some conversations and get some things going. But how about situations where the work has already been completed? That presents both a pro and a con situation. And it all depends on if every single item that was required to be done is approved that it should have been required. In other words, a common phrase is what is, was it legitimate? Was it reasonable? And also was, was it, it necessary? necessary? Yeah. And um, so it sounds to me like a lot of these answers are each of these is a case by case basis. You can still go to appraisal if uh, the work has been completed depending yes. on the situation. Yes, you, you can. You can, uh, conduct an appraisal without ever visiting the site, without having a site visit, correct? Yes, you can. And there's three parties to an appraisal panel. There are the appraiser representing the insured, the appraiser representing an insurer, and the third party is an umpire. Um, tell us a little bit about how each of these people are paid. Well, first off, each party, the insurance company, ABC Insurance Company and John Smith, homeowner, has a dispute about their insurance claim. John Smith feels, or maybe he, he's been led to believe by several contractors, that there's not enough funding to do the job correctly. There could be all sorts of reasoning for why that occurred. 
The most common is a, a disagreement on the scope of work, which is an appraisable issue. The second most common is building code items that were not properly addressed by maybe one or both parties. And third item that's common in the exterior trades would be manufacturer specifications. Now, John Smith and ABC Insurance have a dispute. They try to resolve it. You have to wait until you've run into an impasse. Have both parties gotten to the point where they know they're not going to make any further progress with negotiating with each other, and you basically throw your hands up and say, I give up. What do we do next? One option, and we'll talk only specifically about insurance appraisal, is to do that. To, to start the insurance appraisal process, either party must send in a demand for appraisal form to the other party. Okay. But in general, how do these people get paid? Uh, because if I'm listening to this podcast for the first time, and I've heard a little bit about appraisal, but I don't know much about it, a lot of questions are, what's this going to cost, or how do these people get paid? So who pays who of these three people that make up the insurance appraisal panel? All right. Well, the insurance carrier is responsible for 100% of their insurance carrier appraiser's fees. The policyholder or the assignee could be a public insurance adjuster that is handling the claim for them. They are responsible for the appraisal fees that's representing the position of the insured claimant. The umpire, if he is engaged, each party is, is responsible for 50% of his fees. And the common question then comes up, how much are these fees? Uh, most appraisers that I know will, will be doing this at an hourly rate. And give us a rate, give us a range of an hourly rate uh, for an appraiser. There are ranges between $175 per hour and in some of the more uh, substantial and probably more elaborate appraisals that I've read about up to $500 per hour. Okay. It's well, it's best to be done by per hour basis versus percentage because percentage can be ruled as having a financial interest in the claim and take a good award and get it reversed and vacated. And how about for the umpire? Does the umpire work around those same ranges per hour rate or is it more? An umpire can be. Uh, there are several. That's why it's good to have an appraiser that works for you that is familiar with all the umpires in the area. How much does John Smith, John Doe cost and how much does uh, Mary Smith cost? And are they fair? If you have not been around, you don't know this. That is the first thing that happens when somebody gets in over their head. And Neil was alluding to me getting a phone call every 10 minutes. Well, that's not quite accurate, but I probably do get about, you know, five to 10 private messages or texts or emails per day from other parties around the country. What do I do next? They're asking for advice. And I'm not the only one that they're asking for advice either. They're, they're shooting for everybody that they can get 10 opinions from. The situation that they're now in is, they don't know what to do. How do I even do step number one? And that's a bad position to be in. So you need to know who the good umpires, and by good, I mean being fair. I'm not looking for somebody that's going to be in my back pocket because if they're willing to be in my back pocket, that also means they're for a couple dollars more, they're willing to be in somebody else's. And that's also fraud. Yes. Okay. So the idea is that we have a an appraiser that's for the insured, an appraiser for the insurance carrier and then we have the third party of the panel which is an umpire and uh they're all uh looking at this with a new set of eyes and they're all looking at the claim and determining a, an amount of loss is that correct 
that's the proper way that we look at. Okay. And then uh, what's the time frame on this? That's another thing. A lot of people want to know, if I go to appraisal, how long is appraisal going to take? Well, one rule of thumb is before it really even starts to get started, after the demand for appraisal is submitted, there is contractually at least 35 days that can be involved right from the beginning. The first 20 days is the party that sends in the demand. The other party has 20 days in the typical appraisal clause to respond and to say, I'm naming so-and-so for my appraiser. After that point, the two appraisers attempt to get together with each other by email or phone, and they try to agree on an umpire. There is a minimum of 15 days allowed to, to agree upon an umpire. That doesn't mean that the clock stops at 15, though. If the two guys think that they might be able to come up with an agreement, the other option would be going to court. Why should either party be penalized with ongoing court costs and lawyers' fees? If the two guys could work it out, it just might take another couple of weeks of exchanging other people's names. So, so there's the standard uh, what the policy guidelines are of how many days it should take. And then there's what really happens in real life. So the best advice would be what? There's the, by statutory, by policy language, there's this many days. But in reality, it's it's how long? How long would it take? A, a typical appraisal, and most of them fall into the typical range, is three to four months. From beginning of the demand form sent in to the end of the appraisal. Now, that doesn't mean that they all do, though. There are some that will take double that time or possibly even a little bit longer due to extenuating circumstances. What happens when all of a sudden you're getting ready to do your site visit and you got snow in November that you weren't counting on? Uh, last year, it didn't snow until January, maybe. And this year, it snowed in November. Matter of fact, on this actual year, it snowed on Halloween. So uh, there's now you just took away December, January, February, okay. and possibly March. Okay. And I think that's what our listeners are looking for. They're not listening, looking for pie in the sky. Uh, we'll get this done in, 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 in 30 days. You'll be laughing or crying or anything like that. They're, I think they're tuning into this podcast uh, to ask questions and to get some real-world answers, uh, realistically, what's going on in the, in the, in the world of appraisal. Uh, so, all right. So we've gone over how people find appraisers, what they are, what type of training is out there, that there's no state licensure for this particular. So I would say that the homeowner the, or the contractor or the public adjusters who are interested in finding a legitimate appraiser really has their homework cut out for them in trying to find a legitimate person, correct? That is correct, Neil. Uh, luckily, when we have our training classes going on, there will be comprehensive list of people from the Midwest we're starting off in the Midwest, but there's already been offers for many other states around that want us to come there, too. In Midwest, we've got uh, maybe half the states in the union uh, people saying, uh, how can we uh, get involved in this somehow, especially with the mentoring program? That is true. Um, okay. So is there any, other than the policy language, which is a little thin, on directing things, it leaves a lot. There's our training again. Uh, it leaves a lot uh, open to interpretation. Uh, do lawyers ever get involved in the appraisal process? Will I have to go to appraisal and then have to hire an attorney or the services of an attorney uh, during the appraisal process? That could be a conversation all on its own, right there. But the the quick answer 
to that is, yes, there are times. There are certain insurance carriers, as a matter of fact, that are pretty well known for just saying, even though it's in our insurance policy, which also you can call insurance contract, even though it is in the insurance contract that we're supposed to go to appraisal, we're not going to do it. We're going to come up with a bunch of excuses and tell you why we can't. And we're going to force you to take us to court to make us go to appraisal. Now, that falls into what Professor Jay Feynman wrote a book about called Delay, Deny, and Defend. Okay. And they, so and that particular procedure is commonly referred to as compelling appraisal, correct? That's the court procedure that a lawyer would have to file. And a savvy, and I don't suggest this for people that are not used to going to court, but a savvy policyholder who understands how to file documents properly or who's literate on looking things up online, it is possible for someone to do it what's called pro se. Okay. That's not recommended, but it can be done. All right. And we don't practice law without a license. So this is in general. We're giving general uh, term, general uh, experiences that we've had in the past in dealing with this. So, uh, so there are times where you may need the services of a licensed attorney, correct? Absolutely. And how would I go about that? Would your appraiser know who to contact or how would you go back trying to find a qualified attorney that specializes in insurance work like this? Well, I can only refer uh, several at a time. I do not like to provide a specific attorney because that might be called. There's a lot of violations that get into this legally. If I'm referring a specific attorney that I'm responsible for, uh, possibly interpretive of practicing uh, practicing law without a license. Right. Even by giving them s- such a simple thing as this is the t- attorney call. I, I can suggest that you talk to this man and this, this lady attorney and you make up your own mind and if you have any others that you're aware of please speak with them. But it should be an insurance attorney, an attorney that is involved with insurance policy to begin with. Somebody that is familiar with insurance right. policy. Some people don't even know where to begin with that. So, so the advice would be to con- contact your local bar association, city or state. That's a good idea. Or uh, maybe you would have a list of several attorneys, and they are free to uh, vet them at their own, and or seek their own advice in, uh, in 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 who they feel comfortable with, right? And very often, I I know for a fact that one or two of the attorneys that I have referred have even suggested other attorneys' names that are maybe more closer more tied into that type of claim. So they might even- I like to hear that. I like it. Nothing builds credibility in my mind as to somebody who turns down work uh, because it's the right thing to do for the client. Uh, And we talked about that earlier too, which is why uh, we're going to give our information uh, uh, at the end of this uh, podcast so that people can contact us if they have a question. It's always a free consult, correct? I don't ever charge for anything. All right. <laughs> so uh, the idea is, though, I hey, would suggest... Edit that out, please. <laughs> <laughs> I would suggest that someone have a review to determine if it's what what's, what's known as ripe for appraisal before demanding appraisal uh, and, and have someone qualified to review it. Uh, and that that I think you can't go wrong with that type of advice. Uh, you got to at least know where you're at before you, you start. You have to look before you leave. Brings up another question. Say someone demands appraisal. Then they determine that maybe it wasn't the right option. What do they do then? If it's the insurance claimant that already had demanded appraisal, sometimes once you let the, the horse out of the barn, it's going. Okay, uh, you, so would, you, you would have to depend on the mercy 
pretty much the benevolence of an insurance carrier to say, okay, well agreed to not go through with the appraisal process. There could be times that proceeding with an appraisal might be a detriment to the benefits that you could have gained. Right. There's also times going through with the appraisal process could bring you a lower value than you've already potentially right. been offered. So what you mean you could win and still lose, which is what we talk about sometimes where uh, someone goes to appraisal and the net amount that you gained after you paid all the fees for appraisal, uh, keeping in mind that as the uh, insured, you're responsible for paying 100% of the fees of your appraiser and 50% of the fees of your umpire in addition to any other professional services fees that might be needed during this appraisal process, right? That is true, and uh, there is an exception with Illinois, but that is something that we all discuss in classroom. Okay. All right, very good. Uh, so with that, we're going to start wrapping it up. We're at about the 35-minute mark here. And uh, what did you want to say how people can, can reach out to us? Go ahead and give them your information. I'll give them a phone number. You give them a phone number, and people can do that. And then, and then we're going to be launching the website that's been being worked on for the last eight months. I hope they've got the kinks worked out of it. But go ahead and give them your contact information right now and a phone number that people can call. Okay, the name is Edward. FACO, spelled F like in Frank, A-K-O. The email address is insurance claim appraisals with an S at the end of that word at gmail.com. My telephone number to be reached at only after you've made contact either by text or email first. My telephone number is area code 224-735-5144. And, and Neil's next. And uh, the Ed is a very well-versed person in appraisal. And like I said, as far as credibility, uh, I uh, I like the fact that uh, he's actually uh, uh, turned down work that he felt that he couldn't bring value to the claim, uh, which is something I do myself. So my contact information, again, my name is Neil McLaughlin. Uh, the uh, website uh that will be converting over to a larger website is appraisalandumpire.com. I can be reached toll-free at 844-672-5246. And again, both of us are uh, putting ourselves out here and documenting it that we will not charge any money, anything of value for a review of uh, an appraisal review. And I don't think there's anyone out there doing this right now, doing appraisal reviews. Everyone's so hot to get somebody signed up to uh, sign a contract. I think it's uh, the smart thing to do to do an appraisal review and get a uh, an idea whether or not this is this is something you want to go forward with at first. Uh, Especially if this is your first several times getting involved in the appraisal process. That is even more critical at that point that point because everything is foreign territory to you we want you to understand what's going on right and that's the other thing too uh communication how does it work if uh i hire an appraiser and uh what can i expect from that appraiser will i just hear something in th six, three months or six months or how does that work am i supposed to be kept informed I what are my rights as a person who hired an appraiser i allow the uh, the customer to be able to contact me and i will tell them Please don't make it too often. There, there are those 35-day voids right at the beginning. And the typical response is going to be nothing has happened or just a very minor thing has happened. An email has been sent. So when the, when the progress has started and the other appraiser is selected 
And we have agreed on a number. I, I notify my client of when each of those actions have taken place. If they need updates in between that, um, contact me. My my promise is that I try to get back to you within 24 hours, but it's typically within the same business day. And the reason for that is uh, well-rooted in the appraisal, uh, the requirements of an appraiser. Uh, the reason is uh, the appraiser is supposed to look at this with a fresh set of eyes in order to resolve the dispute. And they are not really supposed to be directed. They cannot be directed by any other third party, whether that's the the carrier can't direct their appraiser. The insured cannot direct their appraiser. Uh, and the contractor or PA cannot directly influence or direct the appraisal process. Otherwise, it uh, it's an illegitimate process, correct? Yeah. You don't want to take a chance of going through all this time and money and have it rejected or or modified or vacated. Right. And in future podcasts, we're going to go over some uh, horrific results from people that have violated some general tenets and rules of appraisal uh, so that people that are out there listening who want to get into the field are in the field <coughs> now. Uh, they can they can really learn or take something of value away from this podcast. So, all right, we've come to that time that we're signing off. I appreciate the time you spent with us. Uh, it's nice to be able to fast forward. We will be able to, in future podcasts, give you segment flags uh, or let you, uh, uh, if we're talking about a particular series of topics, you'll be able to go directly to that topic and skip the introductions and things like that. But we hope that a little bit of our personalities come out of this and a little bit of our, our actual experience is able to be transferred to you regarding appraisal. Right, Ed? I not sure about that. <laughs> no. Ed, Ed just want to share. Now, Ed's always I, always known as sharing information online and uh, on social media platforms as well. Uh, okay, with that, Ed, any parting words? No, we'll see you at the next podcast. All right, and speaking up for myself and Ed, we very much appreciate the time that you give us, and we look forward to uh, having you become a loyal listener and a integral part of contributing to this podcast. This is not only Neil and Ed's podcast on the appraisal process, it's also your podcast, and we really want you to get involved in it. I think that's a time to mention. At the During, for the people that are watching this live, they can be asking questions. Will that come through yeah. audio, or will that come through with a type? We're going to we're gonna, uh, audio it, and uh, they're going to be able to send in their message, but it'll be basically like listening to a live stream, Okay, and they're going to go ahead and be able to contact. And if me and Ed aren't exciting enough for you, we're going to have some really good guests coming up, and you'll be able to ask questions of the guests in real time. Okay? That sounds good to me, Neil. All right. I think, it's worth, the, it. I think it's worth the price you paid for the podcast. <laughs> All right. We thank everybody, and uh, we will see you next time on the Appraisal Guy podcast. Say goodbye, Ed. Goodbye, and good night, everybody. <laughs>